Call it middle age. Maybe I have seen Christmas Vacation like a hundred times more than is healthy for human consumption. But this Christmas season, for the first time in my life, the idea, the work, and the act of hanging Christmas lights is not a chore. I've actually enjoyed it. I actually got a little creative this year. I actually thought, and you know, if you know me, you know this is a big deal because I'm cheap. I actually thought, you know what, we probably need more lights. Um, Doesn't matter what type of lights. I've grown to like white lights or colored lights, big bulbs, little bulbs. I'm not ready to hang blinking lights yet, but who knows what the future will hold. Um, Lights at Christmas time, they truly do bring light into our worlds, in our homes, outside, in what is the darkest time of the year. And at least for me, this year, I've been reminded that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. When I see Christmas lights, that's one of the things that I've thought of, is that Jesus Christ is the light of the world, and I've thought about this verse uh, from Luke chapter 1, verse 79, that he came to give light to those who walk in darkness and in the shadow of death. There are a lot of folks who live in darkness. There are folks, there were folks then, there are folks now, there are folks walking in the shadow of death, there are people and places that would do so well to have the light of Christ shine on them and into their lives. And there's so many situations, so many examples of this. There are people who, who walk in the darkness of difficulty, who feel like their lives are overshadowed by regret and pain. There are people that are haunted by their past. There are some people who feel trapped by bitterness and anger or addiction. There are people who feel lost in their lives and just don't know where to go. They don't know what they're here for and where they're going. And wherever you are this morning, part of the good news of Christianity, part of the good news of the Christian message is that the light of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas brings salvation. That's what I want us to think about this morning. The light of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas brings salvation into this world, in our, in our community in general, and hopefully, specifically, into your and my life. Let me bring you up to speed a little bit of where we are in the story of redemption and God's story of salvation um, Zechariah and Elizabeth had, have just had their son. His conception and his birth were miraculous because of Elizabeth and Zechariah's age. Their son was John, John the Baptist. We know the cousin of Jesus. And uh, Mary, Elizabeth has just found out about Mary's pregnancy and she's excited and she knows by the, by the help of the Holy Spirit that Mary carries the Messiah in her womb. And remember the... The angel came and spoke to Zechariah and told him all the things that would happen, and Zechariah questioned it. He doubted that God could do these things, so God made him mute for the rest of the pregnancy. 
the rest of his wife's pregnancy. And so John has been born. John has just been born. And it's time to give him his name. Now, tradition and the standard practice was to give that boy a family name. Usually the name of his father. So when Elizabeth said his name is going to be John, people were confused. And then Zechariah got a a pad and he wrote down, his name is John. And when he wrote those things, he regained his voice. He could speak again for the first time in around nine months. And what were the first things that he said? How did he begin speaking? You know, I need to fix that that leak in the roof, and uh, I need to go talk to our banker or to my boss. No. The very first things that Zechariah said, the very first words were praise. And they've been known for centuries. This passage in Luke chapter 1 has been known for centuries as the Benedictus because the first thing that he does is bless and praise God. So let's look at this prophecy together and think through some of the things that we can learn and see how that this shows us that the light of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas brings salvation. First thing I want us to think about is the fact that this is a promised salvation. The salvation that Zechariah prophesies about is a promised salvation. Everything that is about to take place in the hill country of Galilee, in Bethlehem, in Nazareth, and into Jerusalem, it's not something that just happened in the history of the world. You ever been to an event before? Maybe you're invited to a party or a function. You don't really know the people too well. And folks start talking and sharing and you realize they know each other from way back. There's a story, there's a history here. I've experienced this uh, as in officiating weddings. I've done a lot of weddings. And uh, at the rehearsal dinner, you know, I may know the, the, the bride and the groom okay, but then... The old friends and the aunts and the uncles and the cousins stand up and they start to talk. And you realize there's like 25 or 30 years of history with these people. And I'm kind of on the outside looking in. The things that Zechariah praises God about are things that God's people have been hoping for. They've been looking forward to for hundreds, even thousands of years that God would send his Messiah, that he would send his promised deliverer, that, that truth was at the heart of every Israelite who was trusting in God and waiting on God. So a huge part of the wonder of Christmas and the glory of Christianity is that this wasn't a random event. The birth of Jesus to a virgin in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, fleeing to Egypt, and all the other things surrounding his birth all point to the fact that this was God's divine rescue mission. What are some of the things that Zechariah highlights about this being a promised salvation? First of all, look with me in verse 68. It says that God has visited us. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. For he has visited and redeemed his people. And the word visit here isn't simply like the drop-in that happens when you're in the neighborhood, when you drop in to see one of your friends. The visitation here 
is signifying God's loving and rescuing presence, that he came with a purpose to accomplish his plan. And God's people have been waiting for this visit from God for centuries. It's the fulfilling of so many promises. Look at verse 69. It's, this promised salvation comes to the house of David. One of the great promises of the Old Testament, you remember, to David was that God was going to establish one of his descendants, one of his line would sit on his throne forever. Of the increase of his government, of his rule, there shall be no end. Psalm 110 tells us that this descendant of David would be David's son, yet David's Lord. We trace the lineage of Messiah back to King David. It's a simple and profound reminder that God keeps his promises. This is a promised salvation. Verse 70 talks about it some more, that this salvation was spoken of by the prophets. The prophets foretold in various ways and in various details that God would send his Savior. They didn't know all the details. Those Old Testament Christians, those prophets, they were looking forward in faith to the Messiah. Woody said it to us already. We look back at what Jesus has done for us. But they were looking forward. And all of those prophecies and those promises were like a Q-beam, like a high-beam light shining onto the future of what God would do, that he would send his Messiah. And people could look forward. And they didn't know all the details. They didn't know exactly what it meant. But they knew that God would send a Savior. God keeps his promises. It's also a promised salvation that he swore to our father Abraham. Abraham was important in God's plan from the Old Testament. God says in verse um, 73 or 72 that he remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. Remember what he said to Abraham. I will bless your descendants. They shall be like the stars in the heaven and the sand on the seashore and all the nations of the earth will be blessed through you. It's a promised salvation. And we know that 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 blessing that was spoken of to Abraham, found its fulfillment in Jesus Christ. The light of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas brings salvation. It's a promised salvation. And I think one of the applications for us here is that God keeps His promises. We need to be reminded of this so badly because what are we tempted to do? We're, we're tempted to forget that God is faithful. That God really does keep his promises. We're tempted to forget that he loves us and he cares for us. And that he shepherds us at every stage and every step of our lives. So we have his word here. We have this promise filled word where God essentially says over and over and over again. Don't forget. I love you. I care for you. You're the apple of my eye. There is nothing that can separate you from my love. I haven't left you like orphans. I'll always be with you. I'll go to prepare a place for you. We do the same things in our lives, don't we? To the people that we care about, to our family and our friends, what do we say? 
I love you. I appreciate you. I miss you. I wish I could see you. You don't just say it once and then it's, you're done, right? You don't say, well, I told him I loved him four years ago, so we're good, right? No, <laughs> we say those things over and over again because we need reminding. And what greater reminder can we have that God loves us and cares for us and that he keeps his promises than the reminder that the light of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas brings salvation. That it's about a promised salvation. God keeps his promises. That's one of the things we see from Zechariah's prophecy. Another thing that we see is that we have a powerful, a powerful salvation in Jesus Christ. The light of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas brings us a powerful salvation. And the work of Jesus Christ and the power of God's plan is so incredible, it's so deep, it's so effective. It's one of the things as you read the New Testament that you realize that this salvation has power. There are so many folks, there are a lot of situations where people or organizations, they have good intentions. They want to help. They want to get involved. They want to deliver. But they just can't because they don't have the resources. The light of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas brings a powerful salvation to us. And there are a couple cues from the passage that this salvation from Jesus is powerful. First of all, it's in the first verse of his prophecy, verse 68, redeemed. Blessed be the the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. I love how Zechariah puts this. He's talking about baby Jesus still in his mother's womb, and he says, God has visited us. And God has redeemed us. It's in the past tense. Even though it hadn't actually taken place yet. Jesus Jesus hasn't lived a perfect life. He hasn't laid down his life on the cross. He hasn't raised, he hasn't been risen in victory over the grave. But from Zechariah's prophecy, led by the Spirit, it's a done deal. We've been redeemed. There is power there. There's strength. Redeeming is an action that costs something. Redemption is costly. And the Bible tells us that in Christ we haven't been redeemed with things like gold or silver. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And Christ, He knew the cost. And He willingly came down from heaven to rescue us. Ephesians or Philippians chapter 2 tells us he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. He made himself nothing. He took the nature of a servant. He became a man and he was willing to go to the cross. And even now, as Jesus is in the womb, this is true. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Redeemed. It's a done deal. It's a powerful salvation that's ours in Christ. Another indication that this is a powerful salvation is seen in verse 69. 
He has raised up a horn of salvation for us. This image may be lost on some of us. What is a horn of salvation? What is a horn of deliverance? Well, it's an image from the animal kingdom. And it wouldn't take very long for some folks in this room to find pictures from their trail cameras of that elusive buck. The one that they've never seen while hunting, the one that drops into the food plot at 2.30 in the morning every now and then, his antlers are huge. And uh, it's no mistake that he is the biggest and the baddest deer on the whole place. God's raised up a horn of salvation for us. That, that giant buck that you only see glimpses of on the trail camera, those horns are a, a sign that they signify his strength to defend himself and to defend and take on challengers or predators. And God has raised up a horn of salvation for us. He is able. He has accomplished it. Jesus came to give us a powerful, strong salvation. It's a really good thing, too, because we are broken, sinful, willful people. We need help. We don't need just a little help or a pat on the back or some encouragement. We need a powerful salvation that comes down from heaven. This powerful salvation from Jesus is the type of salvation where the veil of the temple was torn from top to bottom when Jesus said, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit. It's a kind of salvation that defeats death by raising victorious from the dead. One of my favorite lines from Psalm 22, you remember Psalm 22? It's a psalm that uh, prophesied about the sufferings of Jesus. And near the end, it talks about his victory. And it says of people that they shall proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. The light of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas brings salvation and it's a strong and powerful salvation. It's important for us to see that, to know it, to remember it. Because... It's easy for us to think that the salvation that's offered by Jesus is weak. It's powerful. It's not just um, good advice. It's not just things that your grandfather, your grandmother told you or, or something that the folks down at the church talk about. There is power in Jesus Christ. And there are so many people in this room who have tasted that power. Many times we get in situations in our life where we think, this is impossible. This is an impossible battle. This can never be resolved. I'll never make it through this. God could never forgive me or make me whole after this mistake that I've made. And that's when we need to be reminded of our powerful salvation in Jesus Christ. He's willing and able to walk with us and care for us and save us no matter what. And all of this is toward a purpose and a goal. That's the last thing I want us to see this morning is it's not only 
a promised salvation, a powerful salvation, but the light of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas is a purposeful salvation. There is a point. It's not just that one day we'll get to go to heaven, which is incredible, but there's a point and purpose of the light of Christ now. One of the purposes is seen in verse 74. I love this verse. It says that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear. This is part of the purpose of the salvation we have in Jesus, that we might serve him without fear. You know the most repeated command and encouragement in the Bible is do not be afraid. And we shouldn't hear that as God's saying, stop it, don't be afraid, you better stop. No, he's encouraging us. He's coming alongside of us. And those are words of encouragement from a loving Heavenly Father. And we, when we think about all that God has done for us, as we meditate on the birth of Christ, the life of Christ, His victory for us, the help of the Holy Spirit, part of the point is that we could live in this world in freedom and not fear. If God did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him freely give us all things? And here's how it works. When we, when we come to terms with the perfect love of God, when we let the gospel message sink into our lives and our souls, it can systematically cast out fear in our hearts and in our lives. It can give us freedom and trust and joy. And one of the beautiful things about this freedom that comes from Jesus, serving Him without fear, is that we get to become the women and the men that God meant us to be, that God made us to be. Have you ever watched someone, maybe a musician, maybe an athlete, maybe a leader, maybe somebody doing a specific job, and you think to yourself, man, they were cut out for this. They were meant to do this. Part of the the freedom from fear And part of what we were meant to do and how we were meant to live as God's people is described in verse 75. That we might serve Him without fear, and then it goes on to explain, in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. Have you ever thought about this? The purpose of the freedom from fear that we have in Christ is so that we may grow in holiness before God. That we might be transformed and changed. That we might blossom into the men and women that God made us to be. And maybe it's because of our sinful nature. Um, I'm not sure why, but for some of us at different times, when you talk about growing in holiness and righteousness, we kind of bow up a little bit. You know what? I'm all about grace. Don't tell me about sanctification because I'm about God's grace. Well, God's grace is not in conflict with or opposed to growing in righteousness and holiness. In fact, that's part of the point. This is part of the purpose of the salvation that we have in Jesus, that we can have freedom from fear. And part of the way that we live in that freedom is by growing in holiness and righteousness. 
Think about it. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. Those are some of the most beautiful things in the entire world, aren't they? And if those things are working in us and God's working them in us through the gospel, then we'll be freed from fear. If we serve God in freedom through righteousness and holiness, we don't have to be afraid of getting caught. We don't have to live in the shame and guilt cycle. We can have peace of conscience and joy in the Holy Spirit. What if we saw every day of our lives as an invitation by Jesus to serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness? That's part of the purpose of this salvation that we have in Jesus. Another purpose we see is in verse uh, 76 and 77. Uh, Zechariah turns to talk specifically about his son, John. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High. And you'll go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. I think it's beautiful that even here as John is talking about his son, John the Baptist, Zechariah is talking about his son, John. It's not about John. It's about Jesus. And how fitting is that? John's whole ministry was about pointing people to Jesus, the Messiah. And one of the blessings and one of the greatest privileges that John would experience as a man was to give people knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of sins. I mean, he, he, his life's purpose was to tell others about Jesus Christ. I'm not worthy to un- untie his sandals. There's one coming after me. I baptize with water. He baptizes with the Spirit. It's all about Jesus. You know, we have the same privilege. We have the same opportunity. We have the same uh, calling in our lives to make known, to give knowledge of salvation to folks and the forgiveness of their sins. We can do that now at Christmas. We can do that at any time as we think about what's at the heart of our salvation, the forgiveness of our sins. I have a friend, uh, his name is Will Simmons, and he recently has written an article in By Faith magazine. It's the magazine of the Presbyterian Church in America. You can look it up. You can Google search it. And uh, really great article about evangelism. And how we could possibly, how we could maybe change the dialogue from evangelism being something where we go to people and we tell them how much they need to believe in Jesus, to us talking to others about how much we need Jesus and how the forgiveness of sins has transformed and changed our lives. This is part of the purpose of our salvation, that we, like John, might give knowledge of salvation and the forgiveness of sins, that folks really can be healed, we really can be forgiven, we really can be made whole. And then in verse 79, one of the purposes is to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. I mentioned it in the intro, we need light. There are so many times where we seem to be in the darkness. And the light of Christ isn't like that Q-beam that shines through the darkness. The light of Christ is like the sun rising. You ever been awake early in the morning? The sun rises and everything 
becomes light. There's light everywhere. I think one of the signs of a healthy relationship with God is us admitting the older we get, not that we need less light or that we need less help, but us acknowledging and knowing that I actually need the light of Christ and I need Him to guide my feet in the way of peace more than I ever thought. So it is a promised salvation. It's a powerful salvation. It's purposeful. But there's one question that we haven't asked yet. We've talked about what and how and when. We've talked about purpose and result and how things fit together. But there's one last question. Why? Why? Why leave the glories of heaven? Why enter into this world? Why become a man, a little baby born in a dirty manger? Why the promises? Why the prophecies? Why the horn of salvation and everlasting redemption? Why give sight to the blind and heal the sick and cast out demons and preach peace and set captives free? Why head to Jerusalem even if you know you'll be betrayed? Why the Garden of Gethsemane? Why the mocking and the beating and the scourging and the cruel Roman cross? Why did the Father turn His face away? Why a borrowed tomb? Why the stone rolled away? Why are you looking for the living one among the dead? Why the ascension and the great commission and the promise to come again in glory and to be with us every step of the way? Why? Why do we celebrate Christmas? Why does Christianity exist? Look at verse 79, 78, excuse me. Because of the tender mercy of our God. Not because we've earned it. Not because we deserve it. Not because we are so awesome or that we've been really good. salvation of Jesus Christ comes to us in a dark and broken world and in spite of our part in the brokenness and the darkness God comes to us because of His tender mercy. May we never ever forget that. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Uh, loving us and caring for us and for your tender mercy and giving us salvation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for dying on the cross, for being born in a manger, for living a perfect life, for accomplishing the redemption of our souls. Help us to never forget your love for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. At this point, we'll take up an offering to support uh, the work and worship of this church. And so we invite you to give if you're able and willing.